0: Welcome to Peak Community Church. Let's read our scripture for this morning from Luke 6, 27 through 38. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. for even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners, lend to sinners to receive as much again, but love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for something back this morning. We boldly ask you for all the abundance of your word to come into our lives, to come into our heart, and to fill us up like a cup running over. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna begin with a clarification, because if there's one barrier to understanding this scripture is that um, we, we just are confused about what in the world it's talking about. Part of the reason this is, is because of popular culture. One of the, Lots of phrases from the Bible have entered into culture and one of those phrases is, I just heard it actually, I just heard it in a, a, a movie, um, I think it was last week. I was watching a movie and, and someone in the movie says, I'm tired of turning the other cheek. And what that meant was, I'm tired of just sitting around and taking it. I'm gonna now fight back. We have turned Jesus's words into passivity. We've turned this teaching into what some people call quietism, which is essentially doing nothing. That's not what he is saying. That is not what the scripture is about. But part of the reason we do this is because we only, we tend to think of the world only in two, two frames. And those are what I was trying to reference here with the, the big, ridiculous blueberries. Either we think that um, some people are just naive about the world, they're naive to the world's dangers, they walk around sort of hoping for the best, they let other people do the bad stuff, and they, but they act sort of like serious violence or serious threats. are are never going to touch them. The other way of looking at the world is that you're realistic about the dangers of the world, and then therefore you're willing to get your hands dirty, to do difficult things, and maybe even sacrifice a few principles for the sake of the ones you love, for your family and for your tribe. The two ways of the world, the, the, the no, the combative no, or the okay the passive yes. Here Jesus is talking about neither of those. Jesus himself is neither kind of person. Jesus doesn't say passively yes to evil, nor does he resist it with reactive and violent force. Jesus overcomes it with a creative alternative, a third unexpected way. For some of you, this will still sound like pie-in-the-sky idealism that will one day get you killed. And as evidence to your point, you'll say, look at Jesus, didn't he get himself killed? Actually no, he walked to the cross. It wasn't like he was trying to do something and it didn't work and so he got killed. He intentionally went to the cross. And the principles that Jesus teaches, often sometimes called nonviolence, um, in, a, in a recent study were found to be nine times more effective than any other form of political upheaval between the years of 1900 and 2006. Nine times more effective in the world. So, what's the more practical? What's the more what's the more common sense approach? We could, we could point to, we could spend the whole morning talking about examples of this. You know, the, probably the most famous ones are, of course, are Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Movement. Gandhi was able to overturn British imperialism by walking people to, to the coast and, and evaporating their own water to make their own salt, thereby subverting the British Empire. One of the things that he did that I especially love is, is uh, there, there, was an, there, was a, there was a national flag that was outlawed in India. And, um, you know, you weren't allowed to wave it. And so they tied flags to uh, the tails of cats. And so if, if the British forces wanted to um, get rid of the flags, they literally had to herd cats. Um, and it was effective. And it was effective. It was practically effective in doing what he hoped to accomplish. The civil rights movement was practically effective. Rosa Parks um, was an old seamstress. And she sat and she would not get up from her bus seat. And it created this whole bus boycott that in in the end ended up um, subverting the shaky foundations of, of segregation and of racism. It was practically effective. And all of this is rooted in the principles of nonviolence that Jesus is talking about here. So let's look at this teaching. There's nothing passive about this. Love, do good, bless, pray. Those are the first four things he says, and they're all active verbs. And then he starts giving these examples, and these examples are sometimes, and, and you know, I, I don't blame people for misinterpreting it because they can be a little confusing. For instance, turning the other cheek. Turning the other cheek is is, is easy to misunderstand because it's not a um, it's not something that we're frankly used to. Not a lot of people walk around slapping us. But if you're in if you're in occupied Palestine in the first century and you have Roman um, uh, Roman soldiers around you. One of the things that Roman soldiers like to do to express their dominance is they like to backhand people in the face. Say, I'm in charge here. You are nothing. And they would slap them like this. And what they would do is they'd use their right hand to smack the right cheek. Now, Luke doesn't mention the right and left cheeks, but Matthew does. So stick with me, and I, I debated, Sandy and I debated whether or not to actually have another person here for this, and, and I might need one, but, um, but I'm going to try to explain this. So what happens is, is um, uh, the soldier's going to backhand you like this, and, that, and that's just like treating you like a dog, essentially. But what happens if you turn the other cheek? What are the options? Well, he can backhand you with his left hand, but in, 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 in these times, the left hand was used for nothing other than unseemly things we'll say we'll say that there wasn't as much uh, sanitary equipment that we have now and so the left hand was kept you know to the side and so you always used your right hand for pretty much everything and and so by turning the other cheek you have to try to figure out how to backhand somebody you know with your right hand it's impossible what do you have to do you have to you have to hit them strike them and what that means is that you are now, essentially what you're saying is, treat me as an equal. You're gonna smack me around, smack me around as an equal. I'm, I'm not below you, I'm not beneath you, I'm a human being and you're a human being. And what it does is it places off kilter, it sort of sort of short circuits the power of the, of the Roman soldier and it elevates your power by saying, one, treat me as an equal and two, your violence does not scare me. Because it, it, it is slapping. It's not, it's not um, other sorts of violence. It's just one example. So what, what Jesus is doing is he's giving very specific tactics for a very specific situation. He's being creative. So the other example of, you know, if somebody takes your cloak, give them the shirt off your back. We use that phrase, give them the shirt off your back. Um, if you're poor and you're in debt, and someone takes you to court for your debt, what they can do is, if you can't pay the debt, they can take your cloak, which is ridiculous because the person you owe money to has has enough cloaks for the rest of his life. He doesn't need more cloaks, but he can take your cloak. And now you're poor and you don't have a cloak. It's ridiculous. So what Jesus says is, give him the shirt off your back. What that means is, be naked. Be naked in front of everybody just to expose this person who's trying to take what little you have left. And, exp- and what it wants you to do is expose their evil. Expose the shamelessness of their act by giving them absolutely everything you have. And what it does is it embarrasses the enemy and shames them. How do you apply this to today? Well, it takes creativity. Again, we're in a very different situation. But one thing we know for certain in what Jesus is saying is he is not saying lay down and take it. That is the last thing that Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is actually saying, go on the offensive against violence. Go on the offensive against evil. Take the initiative, but do so creatively. A lot of people, as I said, have taken this advice They have done exactly what he said, and they've managed to change the world. Whether it was in India, whether it was in America, whether it was in Eastern Europe, we can give example after example after example. But my favorite example of this, of all time, in fact, one I've used once before, but thankfully, um, pandemic sermons have a short um, lifespan in people's memories, and so I'm gonna use this example again. it's the story of Sue Ann Big Crow from the Pine Ridge Reservation just up the road in South Dakota. At age 14, she was already on her high school's varsity basketball team. And in 1988, when they played a game in Lead, South Dakota, they were faced with a profoundly hostile crowd. A gym full of people making mocking Indian noises, Indian in quotes. The Pine Ridge girls were terrified, but Sue Ann was not. She led her team out and made her way to the center court, where to the astonishment of everyone there, she used her warm-up jacket to perform with great elegance and perfect confidence a traditional Sioux shawl dance. Ian Frazier is a writer, and he writes about this moment in his book, On the Res. He said, it was an offering. It was an invitation. It gave the hecklers the best interpretation, as if their silly mocking chants were meant only in goodwill. It showed that their fake Indian songs were just that, fake, and that the real thing was so much better. We Lakota have been dancing like this for centuries, the dance said. We've been doing the shawl dance since long before you came, before you got on the boat in Glasgow or Bremerhaven, before you stole this land and we're still doing it today. And isn't it pretty? When you see how it's supposed to be done, isn't it beautiful? Because finally, what Sue Ann proposed was to invite us us onlookers in the stands, namely the non-Lakota rest of this country, to dance too. She was in the lead gym to play, and she invited us all to play. The symbol she used to include us was the warm-up jacket. Everyone in America has a warm-up jacket. I've got one, probably so do you. So did, no doubt, many of the fans. By using the warm-up jacket as a shawl in her impromptu shawl dance, she made Lakota relatives of us all. She widened her tribe, and she welcomed in her enemies. What I love about that story is the gift of love she gives to the crowd. The gift of a piece of art, the gift of a sacred dance, and really the gift of herself and inclusion in her community. So everything we've said is reasonable. Everything Jesus is saying is reasonable. It's not an opportunity to... um, for, for, for evil to run rampant. In fact, it's a way of vanquishing evil, getting rid of evil once and for all. And for a people with their backs up against the wall, people living during an occupation, people living with violence on a daily basis, it's the best advice you can possibly give. And so one of the reasons I think we misinterpret it is because we don't actually have our backs against the wall. We don't actually live that way we actually have a fair bit more power than anyone Jesus was talking to or Jesus himself. But that doesn't mean it doesn't apply to us. In fact, the whole idea of this being reasonable, the whole idea that this actually works wasn't Jesus's main point. It wasn't all just about a tactic for living when your back is up against the wall. In fact, his main concern was to reveal who God is and to show us how to be part of God's life, which is what always Jesus is doing in the Gospels. And so he seems to anticipate us, people who do have power, in his reply. You know, one of the things we might say is, isn't it okay just to love your family? You know, to take care of your own, to kind of take care of your own tribe? To stick with and defend the people that you know and the people who are like you. What is wrong with that? When you're not threatened on a daily basis and you got your little community, why not just stick with that little community? What's wrong with that? Again, I think this is the most the situation most of us live in. How many enemies can you name? How many people regularly try to attack and kill you? People out for blood? Not very many. At least personally, face-to-face, one-on-one. It's a clever approach. Maybe it's the best approach, but it's not part of our everyday life. In response to this, here's what Jesus says. He says, you can live this way. You can live the way of protecting your own, of, of, of taking care of your tribe, that sort of thing. But you're not going to get anything out of it. He's, again, he's very, very practical here. He basically said, there's no reward in that. There's no benefit. We sometimes really make a big deal out of loyalty, out of protecting our own, out of, out of taking care of spouse and kids, and we sort of elevate this as the highest good of what a person can be, is someone who, who does what they can to protect the people that are around them. But Jesus says, it's not that great. I mean, this is what criminals do. Run-of-the-day sinners act like this. I mean, you know, criminals very often are stealing for their family, or they're stealing to survive. That's what we're all doing. We're not all stealing, perhaps, but we're all trying to do the same thing. You know who's super loyal? Rattlesnakes. Rattlesnakes take care of their kids, protect their young, raise them up. Rattlesnakes are exemplary creatures. That's Jesus' point. Why would we hold this up as an ultimate good? What on earth does that teach us about God? Last week we sang a song called um, Good Good Father. Songs like this can be dangerous because sometimes it makes us think that we can imagine God as like our ideal father. You know, this is a father who takes care of me. Me protects me, that kind of thing. Instead of letting Jesus reveal the Father as someone who loves enemies, listen to verse 35. Jesus wants us to become children of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and evil. God is the kind of God who loves His enemies. God is the kind of God who loves his enemies like his dearest child, like his only begotten son. God doesn't need to love any of us. God doesn't actually need any of us, but he loves us beyond any of our understanding. It's not a feeling about us. There's not a a little group of us that have somehow managed to win God's favor because of some particular attribute that we possess. The truth is, is that no matter who you are, God loves you unbelievably a ton. A lot. So much. Can't even, whatever. The name of this act of love is Jesus. So loving our enemies requires no other reason than God's act of love for us. But if we do love our enemies, we will receive a huge windfall, a massive reward, an overwhelming abundance. For some, it will be liberation from oppression. It may be new friends who used to be strangers and enemies, but the greatest abundance from loving our enemies will be the experience of being beyond a mere rattlesnake in our loyalty. It will be participation in the very life of God, since God's love is exactly like this. A love that is not reactive, but is intentionally about reaching out to our enemies. I am a man of middle age, which means I've lived long enough to have a couple of enemies. I wish I could say that I've been able to transform all my enemies into friends. I'm not, but I can say that I'm genuinely grateful for my enemies and that I bless them. Here's why. My enemies have revealed my foolishness and pride. When they did things that I didn't like, I reacted in ways I didn't like. It was like drawing out some sort of mess in me that needed to come out, that was there and, and and it wouldn't have come out any other way, except for my relationship with my enemies. They showed me how vulnerable we all are to larger forces. Things like institutions or or the way we're brought up or other pressures. How how difficult situations can make good people do things that they regret doing. I don't know if I would have learned that as well any other way than from my enemies. And they taught me patience, and they taught me hope. Hope not in anything else except God. Without knowing it, through all of this, through them being my enemies, they were loving me. And so I blessed them. I thank God for them. They showed me the most important thing in the world, which is that even if I'm a goof up, even if I'm a fool, even if I take pride in myself and I think I'm amazing, God still loves me. What could be more important than that? And I don't know if I would have learned it as well if I hadn't had enemies. So what world do you want to live in? Do you want to live in a world where you're just sort of okay about evil and you don't do anything about it, just passive? Do you want to live in a world where you're constantly patrolling the boundaries and fighting fighting evil even though your, your tribe is steadily shrinking and shrinking? Or do you want to live in a world of transformation where enemies can possibly become friends? where forgiveness is free, where your community is ever expanding, and you're all sitting at the table of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I leave you with that question. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Father, we have much to thank you for, but perhaps most of all, is the fact that your love found us and did not discriminate, did not leave us out. Lord, we thank you for loving us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we, Lord, we pray for the, the courage and the creativity, the patience and the hope to love our enemies. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.